Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hume. Affordable Freedom is about defying the ordinary. It's about rejecting society's definition of success and the rat race it takes to achieve it. It's about slowing down to spend more time on what's truly important and using your money to build a lifestyle around those values. Financial freedom doesn't have to wait until retirement. With mindfulness and intention, you can make it happen a lot sooner. And it can be more affordable than you think. Thanks for taking some time to slow down with me today. Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. My guest here today is Anthony Carlton, and I'm super pumped up about this conversation today. One of the things that Anthony and I both like to talk about is solopreneurship and entrepreneurship. And obviously, the the audience of this show, we want to help people to get out of that grind and live a more fulfilling life. And, uh, you know, solopreneurship is a buzzword right now, and some people are doubting that it has legs. But, you know, Anthony, you and I, I think we're both squarely in the camp that it's here to stay. And really, we were just talking about this before we started recording. Anyone who has valuable knowledge, they can now fairly easily go out there and find people who value it and will pay money for it. So super excited to have you here today, man. Yeah, I'm really excited about the conversation. One thing I, I wanted to get your take on before we, you know, step into everything else is, you know, I, I'm very passionate about improving the wealth management industry so that we can help people live more fulfilling lives. And you have the background as a, you know, CFP certificate and being a wealth advisor before you decided to to go into what you're doing right now, which we'll get into. But I'm just curious of your take on the wealth management industry and where you see it headed. Yeah, that's a great question. My interest for personal finance started in college and it really was something that I hadn't been taught growing up. And so when I went out and self-educated and learned how to invest and manage my money and do all the things as I looked ahead and knew that I wanted financial freedom and options and some of these things that maybe my parents, um, you know, didn't have. That was super empowering for me. So like you said, that led into this career of where can I take this? And so in my twenties, you know, I thought I was going to be portfolio manager, um, and ended up pivoting to wealth management and the CFP round. And so I've had, uh, decent amount of experience in different types of firms within the industry. Um, <clears throat> and just in being part of larger firms and the last one that I was a part of, which was an RIA called Farther, um, they're very tech forward. And, you know, their whole thing is they empower advisors with technology that allows them to work with their clients more efficiently. Um, you know, the client has what they expect when they invest an app where they can log in and see how their money is being managed with their advisor. So they get this technology piece that was missing from the, you know, advice only meet with your advisor. Um, and so they're really bringing that forward and pushing it into the future and being a part of that as I think I was, um, advisor number three or four there, you know, they have, hundred employees now, and I think 40 or something, um, advisors. So seeing the growth in a firm like that, that's really trying to push this industry forward 
And the clients who are attracted to that, which a lot of them were millennials and Gen Z who were working with advisors for the very first time, they had already grown up in this digital age where they expect to be able to log into an app or be able to quickly message their advisor and coordinate things with them, see how their portfolio is being managed. So yeah, I've been on both sides of the coin in the more traditional firm sense where you know, even when I was there and before I left um, the firm in Chicago, they were really investing heavily in technology because there is this inevitable, you know, path forward where the advice needs to be married with technology and it will even be 10 years ahead. It will be predictive technology that will make that advisor even better and allow them to give more data-driven proactive advice. So I just think that it's going to continue to evolve in terms of building great teams of advisors that can serve their clients and then giving those advisors incredible tools and power with technology um, to work with more clients than maybe they would be able to in you know some of these older firms, but really even more importantly, help their clients be extremely data-driven in building a personalized financial plan. So I think it's really fascinating what's happening um, right now. And I'm, you know, keeping an eye on where things are going, especially I'm still, uh, you know, shareholder in, in farther, um, which is a very early stage and they look promising. And there are some other very promising companies as well as smaller independent firms, um, you know, adopting technology as well. So yeah, it's, uh, it's super interesting to see where it's going. Yeah. Um, I've been getting into a lot of debates here recently about, um, you know, the old model, which is the high fee structure that everybody kind of thinks of when they think of the financial advice industry. And then this low cost model that's growing really rapidly because of what you said, you know, that the technology is driving the input costs down significantly. You know, I, I, I was talking to like an old school advisor and he said, well, listen, my fee is one and a half percent and yours is lower. Um, but some people want to buy a Lexus and some people want to buy a Toyota and, and that's fine. And I said, okay, well, now you can provide the value of a Lexus for the cost of a Mitsubishi. So why not adapt <laughs> and provide more value to people out there? And the same technology that's reducing costs and allowing access to way more people, like some of these people that are listening, some of you listeners right now, um, it's also making us to your point more efficient and it's actually counterintuitively like evolving the human relationship making mm -hmm. the human connection even deeper because we can focus on that so really interesting times right now so i appreciate you sharing your uh, your take on it man yeah and just to kind of the last little bit um that you said at the end it is interesting that the more technology merges with human advice um you know, if you're paying for the Lexus, a lot of what you're paying for is going to come through in who that advisor is and the type of advice and the type of experience they're giving you as a client. So it does kind of put this spotlight on advisors need to kind of step up their game because I'm sure this happens to you too, where you meet with clients who are already working with an advisor and you start looking through their financial plan and, you know, you realize that they were working with somebody who called themselves a financial advisor, but really just sold things or 
collected their assets, you know, dropped it into a couple of ETFs and called them or emailed them a couple of times a year. And people are getting really smart and they're realizing that um, they're paying for the relationship and the actual advisor on the other end and not so much, you know, which products to choose or whether this ETF is going to get you 0.1% more than the other. Um, so that is a really interesting piece of it where it's making the human component even more valuable. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's move on to, to kind of what you're doing now. First, I wanted to touch on a couple of the things that really st stuck with me that I've learned from you. And one of them, which I actually applied to my business when I eliminated one of my service tiers was simple offers are better than complex offers. So can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. The offer, I learned this actually just recently. I think we all have offers and maybe don't even know what offer is. And an offer is really how you present your services and, um, to your clients or to your prospects. And so Alex Hormozzi's book, um, hundred million offers really had an impact on me because it teaches you how to build what is called a grand slam offer. And a grand slam offer is one where, um, the person would feel silly saying no to the offer. So you almost make it. And he talks about how two people can offer the same thing, the same exact service. And one can charge double the other person because of how they present their offer. And it could be getting specific about the niche that you're working with. It could be getting specific about which services um, you offer versus others. But in terms of simplicity, when I first started as a financial advisor and my first time around, um, as a solopreneur, because I tried to make the jump to solopreneur before and actually failed. And it had a lot to do with sales and offers. And I feel like people complicate their offers in terms of if you're a financial planner offering services to your clients, a lot of the times when you sell it, you will have this long bulleted list and you might have two different versions of the offer and add-ons and almost like you're trying to over-customize because you think that it's going to get you more clients or make people want to work with you even more because you're just, you know, packing all of these features and all these things into this. And I've found that the simpler um, you get in terms of like, I had three offers. I noticed that one of them for my business was selling, you know, 80% of the time. And then the others, you know, were maybe a couple of clients here and there. And so what I did was just like what you said, I cut the two offers and I doubled down on the main one, um, which is ghostwriting for people in the finance and real estate space, specifically on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, just in terms of offers overall and how you're presenting the service to your client, it's kind of counterintuitive, but the more simple and straightforward and clear you can be, and the more you focus on the actual transformation for that client when you're presenting it to them, instead of the features of, you know, hey, you get this and this and this, you know, at the end of the day, people want to know that they're going to pay somebody that they know, like, and trust to help them 
make some sort of transformation in their life, um, whether that's you know feeling more confident about having a financial plan instead of chaos and not really knowing where your money is going, or maximizing your financial decisions. Like it, it really is this benefits over features when you're presenting your offer. And I just think the more simple you can get in how you present it to your clients, um, the better the response and, you know, new clients you're going to get. Um, and, you know, people telling their friends um, to work with you as referrals. So I, I really do like simple offers and um, highly recommend $100 million offers. If you haven't read that as a financial advisor or just an entrepreneur, like that's one that I go back to again and again. Yeah, I'll have to check that out for sure. Because um, I, I just love that idea of focus and simplifying as much as you can. It makes us way more, not only efficient, but productive. Mm -hmm. And uh, it increases our value to others. Mm -hmm. Like That's one thing I'm finding when I, when I really zoned in on my niche, which is like we talked about, the, the people that are sitting in a corporate job or sales job or whatever, and they just want to get out of that grind it became very easy for me to come up with content. Like every day I have like three or four post ideas, you know, and mm -hmm. it's, it's, I'm speaking to one specific person. And then on top of that, I can tailor my service to that person, which mm -hmm. increases the value of it. And then when I get someone on the, on a call with me, like it's, it's a no brainer, you know, like they're ready to sign up, maybe not immediately, but I have the conversation with them and I'm pretty confident that they're going to come on board. So yeah, I'm with you on that. And like I said, that was one of the biggest takeaways that I've had from you. One more thing on that that's interesting that you said that is I found that out too as a financial advisor trying to build his own practice. And you know, we'll get into this, but obviously I was using LinkedIn to grow my client business by creating content, but also in the background, I was doing some outreach and figuring out social selling, how to sell on social media and get on calls with prospects and not only prospects, but your ideal prospect that you are confident um, is the right one to work with you. And the more specific I got in, like you said, dialing in on who my niche is and the messaging to them, when I would reach out to them, for example, if I'm, I get these DMs and a, a lot of people get these DMs from financial advisors, but if you're a financial advisor and you're just reaching out with a connection request and saying, you know, hey, so-and-so, I'm a financial advisor for, you know, anybody and here's what I do, financial planning and investments and this and that, you are a commodity. You're going to get ignored because there's a million of those in that person's inbox and you don't stand out. But as soon as I figured out, actually, you know who my best clients are right now because I would look at, you know, my early on, I have 20 or so clients and 15 of them happen to be directors and VPs in SaaS sales. And they all live in San Francisco or LA. And so when I got specific about reaching out only to those people, and then in my messaging would say, Hey, I also work with other SaaS sales directors. That gives you instant credibility and catches their attention way more than some generalized, I work with anybody and you know that's gonna get ignored. So um, yeah, really over time, I, I don't think that you're gonna figure out your niche if you're starting from day one. So the pressure to like find your niche and define it before you can even take action 
I kind of found mine along the way. And then I would notice, okay, here seems to be my niche. People who are resonating with me and who I want to work with, I'm going to double down on that in terms of packaging my offer just for them and my outreach and my content and all of that. So, um, yeah, I think that's a, a really important point to hit. Yeah. And then one other thing that I wanted to have you touch on, if it's okay, is just you talk a lot about how writing has compounding benefits. And I don't think this is necessarily a new concept. There's a lot of people out there that are talking about this, but um, I think you explain it in a way that's really helpful. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I remember in my first finance job, um, I was sitting in a big meeting listening to a bunch of people. This was like 2012. So there was a bit after the financial crisis, but I was in this meeting and there's a bunch of very serious people talking about interest rates. And I wasn't paying attention. If I'm being honest, I'm scribbling in a journal and I'm scribbling blog ideas and I'd never blogged before and I have never written before, but I had fallen into the Tim Ferriss and podcasts and YouTube and blogs. And a lot of my day in those earlier jobs, I would be consuming, um, you know, YouTube interviews of Warren Buffett or Tim Ferriss's podcast or his blog. And I really gravitated towards this content creation thing. And I saw the power of educating other people as you learn along the way and, you know, writing online and sort of building this brand. So I kind of caught on to that earlier than I even realized. And then when I eventually got around to starting to write, it was painfully slow. Um, I started writing on Medium first because you can kind of just sign up and write there as a blog, start your own blog and, and start making money. Um, I remembered it took me forever to write my couple of first blog posts and I would study other blog bloggers that were really good on medium. And eventually I wrote one that, you know, kind of accidentally went viral. And so I was hooked and I enjoyed the process of writing online and I saw the benefits of it. And I, it made me a better thinker and I knew that I could make money with it as a side hustle. I never thought that I would be doing it full time because I was very focused on this finance path. Um, but I kept pursuing it as an interest just out of curiosity. And then over time, I realized, especially in my financial advisor career, um, writing consistently could actually attract clients and could give you this trust factor that, you know, other people don't have if they're just cold calling or cold emailing or, you know, it's um, your reputation. So, I wrote and I just kept writing and kept writing. And it really wasn't until two years ago, I had probably already been writing for two or three years at that point, um, where I got serious about LinkedIn and people started to notice me. So I improved as a writer enough where um, people started to notice. And then I really doubled down on consistency. And I started the Justin Welsh, you know, putting systems in place so that I could show up daily and and in terms of compounding, I mean, there are so many things that it compounds. For one, skill. Um, it makes you a better thinker. It makes you a better communicator, writer. You know, all we're doing all day long is writing emails, text messages. So 
that was incredibly helpful for me as a salesperson, as a financial advisor, and in other areas of life relationships. Um, the other compounding factors were specifically on LinkedIn. The first 90 days, I really had no idea what the hell I was doing. And, you know, you kind of get crickets, um, you keep showing up. There's a lot of imposter syndrome, but you have to get past this first phase of how do I figure out how to show up here every day, even when nobody's taking notice. And, um, and then there's this curve, this growth curve, where you will get to this point where if you're doing it right and you're engaging with other people and having real conversations, um, people will start engaging with your stuff. And so you'll see the amount of eyeballs you attract to your LinkedIn profile um, go up and to your content go up. And what happens a lot of times is then your amount of people who DM you go up and then the amount of phone calls you have goes up. And so over time, you know, generating new leads for my financial advisor business, um, other interesting opportunities that I would have never gotten, like writing for Forbes, writing for Business Insider, being on podcasts. Um, if you write on social media and you do it for long enough and you work on improving, you know, first it starts out as one DM that's interesting a week, and then it really does become like a two, four, eight, you know, where now I'm two years in. And I, you know, I'm writing online in multiple places and it's hard to keep up with the inbox because if you're doing it right over time, you should be attracting um, different opportunities for yourself. And, you know, it's so much better than not having a reputation or a brand because by the time I get on a call with somebody who wants to become a client, there's already trust built in before they've ever met me because they've seen my writing and my thinking and you can show authority and you can show different things, you know, through copywriting. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, giving yourself the first 90 days to figure it out and then put systems in place and just know that the amount of results that you're going to get is going to compound for the longer that you are consistently writing and showing up because it is hard. So then you start figuring out things like, okay, how can I batch content? How can I write? seven posts at a time, schedule them ahead of time. And maybe I don't even have to be there for Monday's post. You know, I can take the day off sort of thing. And I still showed up online. It's a long-term game and there's definitely phases to it. Yeah. So for the listener out there, um, whether they're a financial advisor or just in any kind of um, industry and, and they're thinking about like going off on their own, maybe taking the solopreneurship route, do you, what's your advice as far as getting started with writing? Do you recommend that approach that you took, which is kind of getting those practice reps in and then sort of moving to social media or just go straight to social media and sort of fail fast? I think you are going to have to fail in the beginning. And so you might as well just get on there and sort of get it over with because what will happen if you wait too long is perfectionism will come in and you'll say, okay, I'll start writing after I have, you know, this many drafts in a Google Doc or after I've written for this many days. Or um, one of the nice things is that you can find communities or 30-day cohort writing courses where, you know, you and let's say 100 or 200 other newbie writers who want to build a brand on social media 
go through a 30 day group course together where somebody who has an established brand and has a copywriting framework and that sort of thing, they teach you these things, um, you know, over that 30 day course so that by the end of the 30 days, you will have the writing habit. You will know how to come up with content ideas. You will know how to engage and grow your audience and all of these things. So if you just search for something like that, I think that's the best way to get started. Nice. That's great advice. And ship 30 for 30. Those are, I, I've followed those guys quite mm-hmm. a bit as well. And uh, like Nicholas Cole, um, Christopher Lockhead, the category pirates, they've got some good stuff out there to learn, not just how to write, but I, I think to your point is to write effectively online. It's much different. You know, it's not the way you were taught to write when you were in fifth grade or whenever it is we taught, we, we learned how to write. Right. And on that point, I think people do sort of get in their head a little bit about writing and voice and all these things, you know, really on social media, because there are specific writing styles for LinkedIn versus for Twitter. Um, but if you want to just dip your toe in the water, I mean, the one obvious thing you can do is just lurk and go look at other content creators in your niche, ones who have clearly grown an audience and are consistently writing content, study them, you know, study what they're doing, even reach out to them. So I think doing that, and then you can also just start by commenting, you know, just go comment on content on LinkedIn or on Twitter that you think is interesting and start having conversations with people in the comments um, just to kind of warm yourself up because if you're not active on the platform at all, and then you just try to start shooting off a LinkedIn post or a tweet, or um, it'll be impossible to grow, especially from that zero to 1000 or 2000. It's just people won't see your content unless you are engaging and, and really treating it like getting to know people. So the um, elephant, or at least the potential elephant in the room right now, is we're sitting here talking about all the benefits of you know, quitting your corporate job and going into solopreneurship and how it's so rewarding, but it's fucking scary, man, you know, for a lot of people. And especially like for someone like me, where I was just conditioned growing up that you work for a good company because you need that stability and that's the safe route. And it's interesting because now you're hearing some people on LinkedIn kind of reverse that with all the layoffs we've been seeing Mm -hmm. and saying how, no, the safe route is building your brand and your value, right? Mm -hmm. So what advice, um, just on that point that it's a scary thing to do, what advice do you have uh, for somebody that's just, you know, kind of toying with the idea? I would say start before you're ready because you won't be able to start at that point when you'll need it. And what I mean by that is I was writing for a year and a half consistently on LinkedIn before I made the jump to solopreneurship. And I really didn't monetize that entire time. I maybe, you know, yeah, I got financial advising clients um, from there, but I didn't monetize in terms of a side hustle. And I was writing a little bit at that time, but what I was doing was I was building my brand for free and I was treating it like a job, like somebody paid me. And that was because I did kind of look into the future and say, 
I'm not sure what I want to do two years from now or five years from now or 10 years from now, but I do see that people who have an audience or a fan base rather who are following you, they're following you because they have seen your content, they enjoy it, and a lot of them will show up daily for it. And so if you have this engaged audience of people who are going to show up daily for your writing and your ideas, at a certain point, you can offer them something. And a lot of the times you will get so much feedback from people commenting on your content and DMing you and having calls with you that it will become obvious like, oh, people keep asking me the same exact question about how do I build a financial plan or how do I build a brand on LinkedIn or how do I make the jump from side hustle to solopreneur? And that's something where you could build a course, a 60 minute course. And if you have this audience who knows, likes, and trusts you, let's say if you have a 10,000 person audience who knows, likes, and trusts you, and they show up every single day for your content, um, by the time you come up with an offer that's really thoughtful, like a course that's going to solve a problem that you've just heard over and over from people commenting on your content and DMing you, you have, and that's an immediate customer base. Like you are going to sell that course. You are going to get people who want to buy from you. You'll get people who maybe want to work with you and have you coach them. And having that digital leverage is what I like to call it of, you know, the more you do that, the longer you do that. I mean, there are individual creators, some of them with full-time jobs who are making high multi-six figures, sometimes seven figures on top of, you know, their regular job, or they can go full-time in solopreneurship because now you can build this diversified portfolio of income streams, all based on your personal brand, all based on your reputation of showing up every day. So I would say for 12 months, expect to give, 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 give every single day in terms of delivering content that's actually useful for your ideal clients or your ideal customers. And if you do that for long enough, by the time you figure out LinkedIn and you grow an audience and maybe grow an email list. And you'll have so much feedback that you can create a coaching course or a digital product or a book or whatever. And this is what distribution is. You can send it directly to your most ideal customers. And the longer you do that, the bigger your audience grows, the more sales as one person you can have of something like a $150 digital course, like, you know, Justin Welsh doing multi, multi seven figures with his course. But that's also because for five years or however long he was writing every single day, twice a day on LinkedIn. And so there's this built-in trust factor that you need before you can monetize. So if you think that, you know, Hey, I've never written on LinkedIn before, or I've never written on social media. I'm going to make the jump to solopreneurship and I'm going to be a coach or I'm going to be a writer. It's so much easier if you have guaranteed customer base right out of the gate, because if you don't, then what's going to happen is you're going to 
need money to pay your bills or you're going to be draining your emergency savings because you don't have this trust factor in. And so it's going to be much harder for you to sell something if you tried to make that jump without building on the side for free and treating it like a job first. Yeah. One of the things that I think about a lot is, um, because this is sort of the way that I did it is I just kind of had enough built up in assets outside of retirement accounts that I could just take my time, have a long runway and just figure it out on my own. Right. Mm -hmm. But not everybody has that. And I think if you take that route, like, yes, you will have success by, by default, I think just because you're continuously writing, you're continuously getting better. But if you don't have the financial means to do that, I think like I said before, talking to somebody who's ahead of you, who, who's done what you've done. You know, I think if I could give my past self advice and if you could give your past self advice, we could have grown our businesses a lot faster and, and probably been um, closer to our ideal life than we are right now. And hopefully we're both pretty close to it. But uh, yeah, I think it's such a valuable service, man, what, what you're providing for people. So for people that are interested in... Uh, you know, in possibly reaching out to you. Number one, I'm sure I'm curious if you could tell them, you know, kind of what drives you, you know, what, what's your why behind the business that you run? And then lastly, just how can people get in touch with you online? Yeah. The why behind what drives me is exactly what you just said is I'm have done something and figured something out um, for myself, which is making this jump to the creator economy and seeing, you know, my in- income multiply compared to what I was doing within a company um, in pretty short order. But that was because there was a lot of this work built up beforehand. And one of the reasons is because I invested heavily in coaching in the last year. I had never really done that before. And so I had that aha moment of, Hey, if I want to do something, I should find somebody who's a few steps ahead of me, who can give me a blueprint and help me save some time. And, you know, so I don't have to bang my head against the wall, trying to figure it out on my own for too long. Um, and so getting a coach helped me make that transition. Um, and there's a lot of freedom that comes with that. Like I get to set my own schedule. I get to choose who I work with. And, um, you know, like I said, the, the income opportunity and the ability to scale your own income is just unmatched. You can't really do that in a lot of, you know, different careers outside of this. So my passion comes from doing this and having others help me along the way. And so now it's my turn to sort of turn around and lend a hand to the people who are like, Hey, I, I want to build a brand and join the creator economy and, you know, start making money online, either as a side hustle or, you know, in your main hustle, attracting more clients, more customers. It's almost like I've unlocked this thing that now I just can't help but tell everybody about because I think so many people would benefit from the work of, yeah, it's going to be 12 months, especially if you're doing it on the side before you start seeing some real incredible results. Uh, results. I mean, you'll see some before 12 months, but when you get to that 12 month point, if you've been consistent and you do it well, you will have the option to either just make a lot more money in your main hustle alongside it or transition to 
full-time solopreneur or building your own business. Um, so yeah, man, I, I want to help others in our industry and I want to help people, um, make entrepreneurship more accessible for them, especially in this digital world where it happens a lot on social media. Um, the best place you can find me is LinkedIn. So Anthony Carlton on LinkedIn, you know, look me up there, DM me, um, connect with me. I'm pretty active on there, um, throughout the day. And yeah, if you're an advisor or somebody in the real estate space, finance space, what my business does is we work one-on-one with you to help you build your brand. And so we have brand advisory. Um, we also ghostwrite for people on LinkedIn and Twitter. We're growing fast and um, it's me and Jesse Future, who's also in the real estate space. And he's a really good guy on LinkedIn. And I've actually learned a lot from him. Um, in terms of writing and, and content creation. So I would love for you to reach out to me and, and it's been a pleasure. And um, thanks for the invite on the podcast. Of course, buddy. It was great to have you on here real quick before we go. I got to go back to this point that you brought up and then we can, we can end it, but you know, you get to a point and I'm there now, you've probably been there already a little bit longer than me, but like eventually if you're putting in the reps and you're putting, you know, putting in the work to, to, not only grow a business, but grow yourself from a personal development standpoint, you eventually get to a point where you are so passionate about what you're doing and you're so confident in the value that you can provide to your ideal client that like you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think it's just a matter of going in with the right expectations, having a good financial plan, and more importantly, having an overall business plan, a target of where you want to get to. And that may Mm. change along the way, but you got to have those goals in place. So anyway, Anthony, it was such a good conversation, man. I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for listening today. And if you have a moment, check out my website at reflectivewealth.com. Everything you need to know about my business is there. Because if there's one thing I've learned in my career, transparency and accountability are critical to a healthy financial services industry. Thanks and see you next time.